and welcome back to our podcast, School Buzz. I'm Rebecca Cooksey, and today we're going to be talking about our early literacy grant. So I have with me Tara Goins and Andrea Williams, and I'll let them get a short bio for themselves. Well, thanks for having us, Rebecca. My name is Tara Goins. I'm the coordinator with Curriculum Instruction and Assessment. I work with Krista Thompson, the director, and a wonderful team of instructional district instructional coaches, including Andrea. Um, I've been in education now for 18 years, and this is my second year as a coordinator, and it's been a great journey supporting uh, MTSS and early literacy. Awesome. My name is Andrea Williams, and I'm a district instructional coach as of this year, my second year, but I've been in the district for 21 years now um, as a site coach and a teacher, so my focus is on early literacy and reading intervention. And so one of the most important things we can do for our kids is they have to be able to read. You can't, you know, that's, that's what has to happen in the first couple of years of school. Um, so tell me about the grant and its focus. Uh, so currently we actually have two grants. We have the CLSD, which works with Mariposa, Monta Vista, and Jack Northrop, And we have the ELSB grant, which works with Joshua Elementary. Both have a focus on creating explicit systematic instruction opportunities that support early literacy, including data assessments, um, phonics, and phonemic awareness instruction. And I'll let Andrea add any more to that, too. Well, I think you said it pretty well, actually. I just uh, know that some of this uh, focus of the grants is to also uh, support teachers in their learning about how to teach reading better. Because what we have found in the research across the country right now is that teachers need support in that. And that it's okay if you have to say, um, I don't think I know how to teach reading as well as like a teacher should. But that's okay. That's what we're here to do. And that's a big push for the grant. Well, and I was a sixth grade teacher. So if you mm -hmm. put me in a first grade class and now I had to exactly. teach people how to read, which is really stressful as a first grade teacher, I don't think I'd be able to do it because I didn't mm -hmm. have the skill base behind me to really, you know, they throw you out of college like yeah you can teach anything oh no no you can't and so giving our teachers some extra help and the why they're learning something I'll tell you a, a an Emily story so she was teaching last year at Joshua and she was doing the Hegarty stuff she's like what why am I doing this this doesn't make any sense I said no honey those are the building blocks of reading your kids need to have this and she said I never did this in school I said you came to school reading that's why you didn't do it that's I said oh okay I get it but just explaining that to teachers because if they don't understand why they're doing something or you know why am I doing this now um, they might not understand why it's so important absolutely yeah I think that's what's neat about the grant is it gave opportunity at select sites to have this experience of training because California is seeing the need and so they've created these opportunities with um, Getting Reading Right and the ELSB grant to provide training and professional development so teachers see why it's so important and how to do it and why we do it this way through research-based methods. And so their practice has allowed us as a district this year to have a whole district approach. And so that's what's so exciting is not just the select sites, but all sites and all teachers will have the opportunity and our MTSS Paris. And so you had a couple schools last year already kind of doing using some of these um, tools. Did you see an increase in um, early literacy from those students that were participating? It's a great question. Um, our current data is kind of um, tight or centered around iReady data, which is a more broad collection of data. It doesn't go into the finite details of phonemic awareness and phonics instruction all the way down to like um, 
just understanding basic letter sounds and identification. So this year, that's why we made a purchase with Dibbles, um, Amplify, Class, whatever you're gonna uh, call it, so that we can get that detailed data and meet students where their needs are. And so it's hard to say from last year what the growth may have been completely. Um, some sites did do a placement and progress monitoring and did see success, but again, it was hit and miss in those spots. So this year we'll have collective data. Well, and we also get kids back from a pandemic. So mm -hmm. they, they were a little bit behind already, some of them, because they, you know, doing it, school online is a little bit way different than being in person. And so we got kids that were a little bit further behind than they normally would have been if they had had in-person instruction. And so I think to not see the huge growth of that first year is probably because kids weren't in school, you know. Um, it's also a lot for teachers and students to learn uh, while they're also doing it. Like, you know, here, here's the program. Oh, now let's learn all about it. And it's I only imagine for sure that this next year coming up, they've already learned that. Now they're layering on the next thing, which, you know, we're using SIPs as our phonics, you know, to really beef up what was going on with phonics instruction, which is the heart of um, teaching reading. But I know for sure at sites that we're doing, like Dibbles, when you were talking about assessment, they did it as a baseline as part of their grant, different from the other grant. And we're trying to kind of weave the best pieces of all those grants together going forward with our site, other sites. And I feel like it's a really good plan because we're getting to learn from each other and then everybody's kind of in it together. But those assessments that were done at that site definitely saw some growth, mm -hmm. but it'll only get better because now teachers will get more comfortable with what they're learning and, and it's a lot to implement. It is a big, big plan, but kids can't read without it. So. Yeah, and, and and that's really the key is you don't expect somebody to implement it perfectly the first right. year because they're learning the whole new system. Um, just back to Emily and Hegarty, mm -hmm. she said it'd be, the first time she was doing it, it was like 45 minutes to get through because she didn't know what she was doing. And by the end of the year, she had it down like in 12 minutes. She's like, I got this. I understand how to do this now. Um, but just... That we have to give teachers time mm -hmm. to understand and learn how to use those programs and get comfortable with them. Because if they don't have that time or they feel they've got to be perfect the first year, that's when people get frustrated and, and don't implement well because they didn't realize we're giving you time to learn. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so the our district literacy plan is actually a three-year plan where this year is really just professional development, space to practice, have our PLC and uh, conversations on what's working, what's not, where does the district need to help support curriculum and instruction, need help support, or a site coach. Um, and then the next year is layering on the next piece, like focusing on our third grade students um, or refining some of the systems and resources we have in the K-2 right now. But yeah, there's no expectation for perfection the first year. This is a growth mindset. Exactly. And from looking at some of these programs, what I'm thinking that they would be used is they would be used like not whole group instruction, but more targeted, specific, small group instructions. Am I right about that? A little bit. I think it starts with tier one because that's where this was essentially a problem. A lot of um, the research, even from 20 years ago about reading and teaching kids to read was saying phonics instruction has to be an element of your tier one program. Students starting in kindergarten really should be getting these very structured, explicit, systematic instruction of phonics all the way through second. Uh, phonemic awareness is something that goes all the way through, and you know that's a building block as well. But I definitely know that it, if we start assuming students know things and looking at books and looking at words before they're able to actually decode those words off the page and we assume they can read, they could be missing pieces. And it's definitely been a 20-year path, and maybe even over that, honestly, some of the science is still the same from 20 years ago, um, but 
we're finding out now with the more you know developed and um, advanced uh, brain research and uh, the things that they can do now that what they thought then and why they thought it, it can be proven now. So let's do it with all students essentially, and then use assessment to differentiate and say, this kid's got this because it's like other things. Some students get it quicker than others. However, the science also says we all learn to read the exact same way. Your brain is not different in the way that my brain or your, anyone else's brain learns the actual process of reading. That is done the same way. Struggling readers, you can see a difference in how their brains do it as opposed to the others. Um, successful readers and, and students who are struggling and if they are taught certain ways that it is the same, which is really, really great to know because that means we can provide really good tier one. Everyone gets this instruction and when they get it, then they can move forward. Other students, we now can do reteaching and practice in different ways or using multisensory approaches that sometimes do the same kinds of, of skills, but in a different way, which doesn't sound too different from all of the other kind of teaching we do, but we somehow get off that path a little bit in teaching to read. And it's complex and there's a lot of skills to read, but the one great thing is it's, it's, in, it's a finite set of skills as opposed to the when you talk about oral language and things like that, that's what kids need to come with. Partner that up with reading, you know, the, the words off the page, and now they can comprehend. But we'll end up missing about if we leave too many of those students behind, if we don't do it full whole group. And, and I say whole group, but this has been something that's come up a little mm -hmm. bit. We want to teach all students, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody at once. It can be a small group, but they're still getting, you know, the instruction that they need. And that's been a kind of a conversation we've been having lately, that that sounds a little different than when we talk about, well, everybody should get the same. If I'm a fifth grader, I get fifth grade curriculum. Yes, however, in teaching to read, some students may go through that path a little quicker than others, but the path is still the same. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. I know when I was a million years ago learning how to read, <laughs> um, there was no phonics instruction. We just mm -hmm. memorized words. Whole language. Yeah. And um, that was great if you could memorize them. But I'm a horrible speller, and I know it's because I don't have, I didn't have any phonics instruction. You know, and if you told me to decode a word that I was not familiar with, like, ah, uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to do that. I'd have to like, like, go to Google and say, sound it out for me or something, because I don't really have that knowledge base. And so I think it's, it's really important to include, make sure that they have a good phonics instruction. Yeah, and phonics instruction is a mix, and and we, I don't know, this is something that I've learned as teachers aren't sure about things. Spelling is is the opposite of uh, when we're doing encoding and decoding. Encoding is as we're trying to put words um, onto a page. That's our spelling. The opposite is decoding. So we're looking at the word and now I'm trying to read the word off the page. Those processes are completely linked. And so some people get really good at that. But if we don't do the whole process of phonics through to the spelling part, we end up with adults who end up a lot of times not knowing how to spell or they didn't have, a, you know, a consistent phonics. Maybe they had a sprinkling of it. And that's been kind of what's been happening and where we've landed in California and the nation is looking at that going, that is not working. We have third graders who cannot read still and cannot spell still. And those are important and very doable if we have these things in place kids can learn to read. It's there. It, it, it's so known. So let's do it right. And then, you know, I, I love their title, Getting Reading Right, because that's really how to do it. Mm -hmm. Get get it right by doing it through that path. And then students are able to do so much more because they can comprehend. A lot of times in upper grades, because I also do intervention, students can't read. And then we're trying to not only teach them curriculum at their grade level, right. we're trying to fill all those holes they don't have in that 
you know, set of skills they could have had. We don't want to have to do that. We can do it. It just gets harder and harder as they get older. So well, and, and the curriculum that's way more difficult. Yeah. And if you can't read it, you're just going to be frustrated. Yeah. So does the research show that if we teach in these very specific ways, that we prevent some of the learning disabilities that ha kids struggle with when they're getting to read? Yeah. That's a great question. In the Getting Reading Right, the CLSD grant, we actually did a dyslexia training that mm -hmm. focuses on, and we have a misconception of dyslexia, Absolutely. when really it's just anyone who's not able to um, comprehend or really get into the written word, and that could be a variety of different things. But they study the brain, and they talk about how we can, through the systematic and explicit instruction, prevent and support students from being labeled as um, having a learning disability. We're catching them just in time with that good instruction so that they become good readers, great readers. Mm -hmm. And mislabeling someone with something. The other thing is that um, this kind of instruction is known to be the best for whether it's a struggling reader. For someone who is dyslexic and is even diagnosed dyslexic, it's still the best way to teach that student, actually. Mm -hmm. And you might have more repetitions and more time in practice for a student like that, but you would still use this kind of systematic. In other words, you're not missing things. You're not learning, you know, just this short A sound and missing a couple others because this, you know, path that this teacher used because they're doing the best they can. I don't believe any teacher's not doing that. Um, but if they didn't know any better, you go, oh, well, I, I think this is a good one. Like, we haven't done a lot of that. We're going to do this lesson. Now, this gives a very, you know, um, lined out pathway of lessons. It's structured from K-1 all the way through second grade, a bit into third. And that way we don't miss any of it. But it helps learners who have disabilities. It helps learners who are dyslexic. It helps um, learners who may not have any oral language when they come in. We have Hegarty to support that now. Mm -hmm. And Hegarty is a program, really, I like to call it putting awareness because that's what it is. Uh, whatever program you use for that, that's an essential element. We have students that may not come to us with a lot of strong oral language vocabulary. We have English learners who come and have less English oral language. They may have a great native language um, oral language, but that's they need that built up. So the, the great thing is that this helps all students. Yeah, it goes back to the state and really the nation's focus on universal design mm -hmm. for learning, the UDL approach, which is all students. And so the focus really is all students. Even um, supporting our dual language program, Linda Verde, they'll have their own version um, to support the Spanish speaking at their site through Estrellita. Mm -hmm. yep. That's great. And as a parent of a dyslexic child, getting that child to learn to read, oh, was painful, painful. Mm -hmm. um, took a long time. I mean, he's fine now. He runs his own business. He's fine. <laughs> he's college educated. But boy, getting that kid to learn how to read was a real struggle. And they didn't have a lot of phonemic instruction in schools. Mm -hmm. So we had to hire tutors and do all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad to hear that every child is going to get that support. Yeah. Instead of having them feel like, oh, I'm not smart, you can be able to learn how to read. And if we could get everybody reading by third grade, that would be fabulous. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's the goal. <laughs> so why do we focus so much on young students instead of teaching reading throughout all grade levels? Sort of a two-part answer. We, we do actually focus on reading all throughout the grade levels, but teaching kids how to read is different than actually reading. And so the students that are learning K-2, and I, I focus there because really our goal is by third. But right now, we're like by the end of third is what sometimes you hear. But it, either way, at this point, we're beginning something that we want it to keep moving earlier. It's not a bad thing because students come in with oral language we, talk, we call it language comprehension, and Scarborough's rope is a word that's being thrown around, and it's a great visual if you look it up, but 
it, it is um, kind of also combined with something called the simple view of reading. And basically, I'll say that you know, they come in with language comprehension, meaning vocabulary and, um, you know, different syntax and the way that language works when we speak it. And we multiply that times decoding skills. And that's what equals reading comprehension. So if we're a low decoder, we didn't get taught those skills, we might have great oral language, but our reading comprehension will suffer because, you know, if I have half of my uh, decoding skills times full one of our, you know, language comprehension, that's still only half reading comprehension. It's a, it's a multiplication equation. And so I want full of both of those walking in. So we're working on a number of things. And language comprehension is a lot of the things we typically teach when we're doing what we call our reading um, teaching in a classroom. We're working on vocabulary. We're looking at the way words work together, things like that. But we also have to be able to take those words off the page. And so in lower grades, we tend, we want to focus more. So if students aren't reading on their own all the time in a lower grade uh, class, that's okay. They don't have to do that alone yet. They don't even, not even know how to do that. And it only frustrates them if we force them to do that. But if they're able to do guided reading with their teacher and see words and make the connections and learn what books can bring to you and begin looking at text features, and we make sure we're doing that solid teaching of the decoding pieces. As they grow up in grade, we spend less time on the foundational skills and more and more and more time on the other skills. And so by the time they hit third grade and up, the goal is we're not really doing as much of that because they can lift the, the words off the text or off the page, and now they can read and they can be taught to read more and more and more difficult vocabulary and learn all of that. And that's that's ideal and it is absolutely doable, but we, we have to be careful of what we're doing in the lower grades to really make sure they can do that. And so they're not struggling, frustrated kids when they hit upper elementary grades and even middle school where they're that kid that you go, oh, I don't, they're frustrated and you don't even realize till you really dig in that, oh, they, they can't read. I'm asking them to do this and they don't even know what it says. Yeah. And my heart breaks for that. That we don't want that anymore. I think also to understanding what's developmentally appropriate. So mm. sometimes we rush in, like Andrea was saying, to give them the whole load rather than chunking some of that learning over time. For example, in our preschool classes, we don't follow a set like a written worksheet or text or anything like that. It's more play based, and they discover and interact with the sounds and their name and things like that or um, through hands-on may build like letter shapes and recognize those letters and all of that is a great foundation as they get into kinder first and second and really start to match the sound to the letter and have identification of that so it's also a balance um, even a lot of TK and K teachers out there will tell you you know, that first semester, they're planting the seeds, and then all of a sudden they come back from winter break, and it's like, oh my gosh, they know all the letters, all their sounds, and they're ready to put it all together. And sometimes it's just that they just need to have that um, space to interact and, and see it modeled and hear it, and then they finally get to put that application in place. Now, you had mentioned that we have MTS as paras. Oh, so exciting. Um, credit to Allison Harmon and James, who's uh, one of our behavior, um, I'm going to say this wrong, psychologists. Yeah, BCBA. <laughs> I'm going to say it wrong, but um, they really laid the foundation along with Mr. Hoffman and um, Krista Thompson in creating this program so that they were in the classrooms in K2 supporting the teacher in small group instruction. Um, in a variety of ways, whether it was social, emotional, behavior, or academic. 
Uh, we took it to another level this year and we've provided them in-depth training uh, alongside the classroom teacher on these uh, early literacy pieces. So they were trained in SIPs, they were trained in Hegarty, and they were trained in Dibbles. So that um, there's really that collaborative piece around how are students performing in real time in academics, in behavior, in social emotional learning, so that they can support the whole child the whole day. And I think that's wonderful. I was telling my daughter, like, I never had anybody help me in my classroom. And to have somebody the full day who's trained and knows the curriculum, I mean, what a gift. Um, you know, that's just so, so much more support than we've given teachers in the past. And I think that's a great addition to our school district. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, I'm excited because there's just so much positive energy around it. Like, you can see the collaborative teamwork already taking off. We had our first training on um, Wednesday last week and teachers and uh, MTSS pairs were there um, creating their schedules and their social contracts and already talking about the environment and some of the students and how to support them. So it's off to a great start. That's wonderful. A great support for our teachers. Mm -hmm. So how can parents help with getting their kids ready for learning and supporting them at home? I think one of the best things they can do, and we talk about, you know, reading and having books at home, and of course that's important, but not only having our students pick up the book, because again, one of the things they found is building oral language at home, whether that's reading a book to your student who cannot read yet, that is a huge beginning. That is number one, absolutely would be um, the best suggestion, but having conversations, building, you know, looking at things out the windows and talking about what things say and not worrying so much that they're able to read the actual word, because we definitely know that that's going to be uh, something that they should be learning once they arrive at school. But the way that reading in the brain works is the more uh, oral language they have, the more um, sounds they are familiar with, even if they don't know what those look like on a page yet, that is absolutely the biggest thing that they can do before, before we have to start teaching the skills that match those sounds to the printed word. And the more they come in with that, usually the faster they read because they are matching those things in the brain as we start doing sound letter correspondences and then they're recognizing things. But if they don't even know that, you know, the word bat on the page, but if I say the word bat and they are not familiar with all the different meanings of that word, they don't have to know it's spelled B-A-T. Mm -hmm. They have to just know that they've heard that word and they know it could be the thing we hit a ball with sometimes or they might know different meanings of the word. But Coming in knowing all of that oral language is really, really essential. And so talking with students and reading aloud to students uh, is, is actually probably one of the best things they can do. Those students don't have to open the book by themselves, and they can if they want to. Kids love holding <laughs> books. My mom tells me that I used to hold the book upside down and read away. You know, I knew what I was looking at. Um, but I just like books. But um, I wasn't really reading. I was doing a reading behavior, but I wasn't necessarily reading. And so I think that those are the top things that, that could be done. And that's, you know, fun to do in the car. It's fun to do at home, talking about recipes, talking about what we're eating for dinner and what's this called, and just building what all, that, all of that language. Our preschool program, uh, the director, Kelly Fountain, and coordinator, Linda Brown, do a wonderful job with their team in building parent workshops. And one of them was is around literacy. And um, it's through, I want to say Scholastic, I believe, and they would go through a six-week series where parents were taught the fundamentals of reading and how to interact with text with their students, um, like reading comprehension questions, what is the story about, even like decoding some of their work where they would draw a visual and have a whole conversational piece around it. So 
the parents felt empowered after a lot of those workshops and felt like, oh, I can equip my child and really support them in this foundational literacy. And I'm sure as we go on in our TK and K and beyond in uh, the structured literacy routines with Sips and Hegarty, we'll have other parenting workshops at school sites. So parents can stay, um, keep that little uh, eye on the websites and ears open. So when we have opportunities like that, um, the grant is very big as well in the community and parent engagement. So absolutely, we're doing things like community libraries that are going to be um, put in uh, Mariposa, Jack Northrop, and Monta Vista campuses. Being painted at this moment. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> thanks to someone. Uh, um, and they were, uh, Laco donated books to go in there. We'll have a fall literacy festival opportunity as well. So really reaching out and bridging the gap of, you know, here's some resources, here's some supports that they can take home so they can interact with their child. So one of the things that we have is we have a digital library where kids can get books anytime, um, and we give them Chromebooks, and they can do that from home. One of the things we have in that library are books that will read to them. How do you feel about that kind of uh, support for children? It's a great one. I've used it. <laughs> it's a great one. And because it's kind of also supports parents, I'm a working mom. It's hard for me sometimes. So when my little one who's now in second grade was beginning and she had the opportunity to be able to just even listen to the story because she didn't know what those words said just yet, mm -hmm. she could still begin to learn how to turn pages in the things they began to do in kindergarten by using a digital sort of resource like that. That's absolutely fine. I love to have print still in kids' hands, yes. but I absolutely know that's the way that the world is now. And we don't want kids not to know how to read a book online and how to do some of those things, but also to just hear the words again. That will build a oral language as they're younger. Uh, so I think it's a great resource. We also have Footsteps to Brilliance, which, mm -hmm. which is a great community support too, and really gets into the phonemic awareness piece, letter identification, sound, and they get to practice print concepts on there too. So both of those are great opportunities. Yeah, and that, the Footsteps to Brilliance is free to any child in our area. They don't even have to be a, a student in our school district. So that's, that's a great community support. Mm -hmm. I also want to remind people that the library is a great place to go get books. My daughter has a two-year-old, and uh, they go through books very quickly. And she's like, oh, the library is amazing. I can check out ten books at once. I'm like, I used to take you to the library. You should know that. She goes, I just forgot that you could get free books because he goes through books so fast, and he wants something new. And um, yeah, she's discovered that, and that this is great. You know, that, That's yeah. a good book because of COVID. I mean, we didn't, weren't doing that as frequently, so it's a good reminder. And they have great crafts, just saying, yes, they to do. take yeah. your kid and do fun activities there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a good way for parents to get books if you don't have, because books are expensive. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't have money to spend on books all the time, it's a great way to get a variety in your house and um, have your kids excited about picking up books. So yeah. it's always a, a fun thing. Yeah. I guess what we're trying to build, something that's exciting and fun for them to realize all, you know, it's sometimes said cliche that it opens doors and we go to different worlds, but it's really true. I still listen right now because I'm in the car a lot. I'm not always looking at words on a page, but a lot of times some of the books that I'm listening to are just to kind of take me and, you know, let my mind be somewhere else for a little bit, take a break from the other things and, you know, listen to a good mystery or something because that's something that I like. And for some kids it's fantasy and others it's something else, but I don't, you know, we, we open up what we're able to look at by being able to do that. I think the library is a great idea, too. I used to take my kiddos there, but there's so many options there, and they might even see something that they might not have if we just had our books at home. 
right. even if you were able to have some, I think they get a little more exposure. Yeah. Well, it, it builds that, that imagination because yeah. Harrison, who's my, my only grandchild, um, he was talking about going camping because he was going camping with his mom. He's like, and Johnny's going camping too. I'm like, she goes, he was just reading a book about Johnny who lived by himself. One was Johnny who lived by himself. And so he's got that, oh, I got my friend going with me. I was like, you just made stuff up in your head, kid. All that you're saying, my kids are older now, but going back in time, they love the Magic Treehouse series. Mm -hmm. And it's because it painted such a visual for them Mm -hmm. as they listened to the audio in the car. We'd listen to it to school and, and on the way back home. But yeah, all those opportunities create conversation. And the kids ask questions. They'll ask questions like, well, what was that word? Or what did that mean? Because they don't understand the context. So it's great opportunities. Well, thank you very much for coming in and spending time with me today. Appreciate it. I know it's a very busy time of the school year, getting everybody trained and all the supplies that they need in place. So I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and uh, letting our listeners uh, know a little bit more about the grant. Well, thank you. Thank Thanks you. for creating a space to talk about it. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. Lots of fun.